You may have previously listened to this podcast when it was called the PropTech Ramble, but we realized we were rambling about so much more than just PropTech. So we're back with a brand new series and a brand new name, The Measure Podcast by Metricus. Just like the last series, there'll be no bullshit, but there will be some rambling. I'm Michael Grant, COO and co-founder of Metricus, and I'll bring you a new guest every Wednesday for the next 10 weeks to get the measure of topics such as productivity in the workplace, building efficiencies, sustainable buildings, and ESG. No matter where you're listening, I hope you enjoy the new series and get some value from it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Measure Podcast. Today, I have with me Miranda Hill from Avenard, and our topic pillar is sustainability, which is a very hot topic. Miranda, thank you very much for coming on. And would you introduce yourself to everyone? Hi, Michael. Thanks so much for having me here. So I am Miranda Hill, and I'm with Avenard. I am our sustainability go-to-market lead for the organization. And at the moment, I think it's probably... Apart from the energy crisis and energy bills and everything else, sustainability is probably the biggest, fastest growing topic in the market at the moment. And anyone we're talking to, whatever we're doing for them needs to have some form of sustainability angle. And that's not a false angle or a greenwashing angle Mm -hmm. these days. It's a real angle. So it's hugely important. And just before we get stuck into the questions, within Avenard, because you've had a couple of roles in Avenard, how much about sustainability is coming through from internally with Avenard and externally with your customers? I imagine it's growing exponentially, is it? It is absolutely growing. And the point that you just made, Michael, and the fact that it's inside the organization and with our clients is a really important one that I would call out. And I'm glad that you acknowledged it. There's definitely a lot of demand around our clients, around what they can do with respect to sustainability. And I think a lot of it is influenced, of course, by regulation that's coming down the pipeline. But I also think it's a lot of it is coming from, you know, forward-looking, courageous leaders in these organizations that know that they have a role and a responsibility here with respect to driving sustainability. And the reason why I think so many of them reach out to us is because you know, a lot of studies actually show that leaders believe that their investments in technology, their investments in digital technology will help them actually drive sustainability action. And for those of you who don't know, Avanade is a technology systems integration organization. And so we understand digital transformation and we've been on digital transformation journeys with our clients, helping them to implement everything from, you know, cloud migrations to ERP and CRM systems and beyond. And I think the acknowledgement from a lot of leaders knowing that technology is going to play a key role here has really brought us in to the equation and into the conversation. Yeah, I don't see that slowing down anytime soon either over the next five five to 10 years. I just see it getting bigger and bigger and you personally and your team and everyone else in Nevernard in that side getting busier and busier because... As you say, the regulation part 
you know, there's always carrot and stick and the stick is the one that generally hurts the most. And that's the one that unfortunately most people pay attention to yeah. to start with. So hopefully the carrot part will come as well. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you mentioned was, you know, the organization itself and what are we doing with respect to that? I have to say there are a lot of organizations and I would say particularly in Europe that are actually asking the question, okay, great. Yes, we know we have to do something, but what are you as an organization doing as well? And I know that, you know, if you're in a B2B type of, of situation and you are a supplier to, to, to different companies with respect to your services or your products, you are their scope three problem doing whatever you can to be a responsible business and really align to what you set forth from an ESG perspective is going to be really important. And, you know, going back to your original question, you know, is there a demand out there from clients? Yes, absolutely. And with the conversations they're having with us is really around, you know, what can we do from a technology perspective to go drive change? But they're also pushing us and asking us, what are you guys doing as an organization to be more environmentally friendly and honestly to be more, you know, corporate and so social friendly as well from a responsibility perspective? I think that will happen more and more. I mean, especially if you're an organization that has ISO requirements. So if you're certified mm -hmm. ISO, so we are for 9001, which is quality yeah. management. And part of that quality management comes supply chain management, comes the questions you need to ask about supply chain you know, and vetting your supply chain. And that will only, I think that it is happening more and more, but it, I think it might hinder people if they're not actually on the sustainability road and they're actually physically trying to do things themselves. I think it might start to hurt people in over, over the coming years. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think that's one of the biggest challenges though, is companies are trying to figure out where do they start? What can they do now yeah. versus versus later? And, and that's where you know, company, companies like Avanade will come into the equation. Part one is an introduction to ESG and why people and organizations should care. Question one in that, leading on from what we were just talking about, why should people and organizations care about the topic of ESG and sustainability? I mean, ultimately, it makes business sense to really think about this. I think a lot of people have a misperception that ESG and sustainability is this trend that's going to come and go. But if it's actually done right, it really is a way of working and operating responsibly, resiliently, sustainably. And that is really important to shareholders. And I think when you actually implement some of these sustainability initiatives, you're actually seeing real business value as well. I would say there's, I would call out three benefits in particular. One is really around top line growth, right? So if you're a B2C, if you're a more sustainable organization, you are going to attract more customers and you are also going to be able to elicit loyalty from your customers as well. If you're B2B, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. You are the scope three problem and challenge for your clients, essentially, right? So it's incumbent on you to be more sustainable so that honestly, you can, you can remain in the consideration set for your client organizations. So there's top line opportunity, but there's also a cost benefit opportunity as well. When you're more sustainable, you are resource efficient, you are water efficient, you're using less packaging, you're emitting less waste, right? And that all imp impacts your cost structure 
at the end of the day, and a lower cost structure is going to be more valuable to your stakeholders and your shareholders. And then the third benefit that I would say is the regulatory component, you know, the carrot and stick, Michael, that you just mentioned earlier. So if you're responsible about your operations and your assets, really you lower the chances of any adverse effects, adverse penalties that you might incur, not to mention any harm to your brand. So again, it makes sense from a shareholder's perspective because shareholders are going to care about that. Again, I would say this isn't a trend. It's not going to come and go. If it's done, it's a way of really signaling to the market that you are not just being responsible, but you're being responsible like to the market, if you will, but responsible from from an investment perspective. I agree with all of those. And it's not a trend. I know some people think it is, but it's definitely not. This is here for a long time. But as you said, if you do it right, it should just become part of your day-to-day business. So you shouldn't have to think about it. You have to think about it to implement it. But then if you follow the process, you follow the procedures and you keep monitoring it and you report on it and you you meet regularly with the team about it, then it just becomes part of the day-to-day processes. Correct. Correct. And I would say to just to, to add to that, I think there's also an opinion from the market that sustainability is oh, yet another thing that I have to do. Yeah. It's this thing that's almost like a on the side effort that has to get done. I also think that's a misperception. I think you're more, you're going to be more successful with your sustainability initiatives if you can actually work it in and embed it into your strategy and your operations. Yeah, agreed. And it actually leads very nicely onto the next question about given your experience and what you do, what are some of the main reasons why organizations are struggling to overcome the rising ES pressures and to try and meet the demands? Do you think that is because they're not embedding it in their processes or they think it's too hard to start? What are your thoughts? I think it's both. I think a lot of times it's first and foremost what you just said. They don't really know where to start. And there seems to be more questions than certainty. You know, what's the baseline carbon footprint of my organization? If I do sustainability, it's so broad. (laughs) What am I actually going to prioritize? Who's going to work on it? Again, it's sustainability is usually a cross-enterprise opportunity. And if you're an organization that's still thinking in silos, it's really hard to figure out who's going to be on point for what and who's going to fund it. So a lot of the questions and a lot of the challenges that I would say came from digital transformation work, right, are some of the same questions and challenges that you have with respect to sustainability. So it becomes sometimes this insurmountable sort of operationalization hurdle that ultimately leads to analysis paralysis, which of course then leads to inaction, right? So it's really hard for these organizations to just think about, oh, how am I going to do this again? And oh, do I have to go on another digital transformation journey? And that's why we try to nudge to these organizations. It doesn't have to be the standalone thing. Try to find ways to work it into your strategy try to find ways to work it into your operations in order to take action, make an impact. 
being a simple Australian, if you're not the expert at it and you are finding it hard and you are finding the pressures, you should go and speak to someone like Avenard and yourself to help them on their journey, even if it's just to get them started, to lay out the objectives or to lay out a roadmap. Yes. You know, you've, you have to start somewhere. So That's correct. Go with the experts. So the next question in this part is, can you describe some of the challenges that you've seen from your role when it comes to organizations measuring their ESG performance and progress? I think it was a great Peter Drucker who says, you can't manage what you don't measure. And yeah. we're seeing a lot of that challenge, I would say, coming from our clients. And I think part of the reason is because this environment, this topic is so vast and so complex, right? If you just think about, for instance, the ESG frameworks that are out there, there are multiple ESG frameworks out there, yeah. right? So yeah. what do you align to? You've got GRI, you've got SASB, you've got you know EU taxonomy. There really isn't sort of a single global standard, right? That you know companies can just align to. Not to mention when we talk to different organizations, they won't even mention those. They'll actually mention the industry standards that they're looking to, right? Whether you're talking about healthcare or utilities or energy, right? So you've got all of these standards to navigate and it's kind of which do you choose? Because you can't do all of them, right? So that's one one yeah. challenge. And I think the other challenge is just a complex and evolving set of regulations. I really think that we're in the infancy of ESG regulations and it's already really complex, right? You know, you've yeah. got some regulations that say, okay, you've got to, you've got to align to these nine mandatory environmental indicators, right? But then you can choose from, you know, one of these optional 22 environmental indicators, and you also have to align to one or two of these optional 24 social in indicators, right? So there's so much nuance to it and so much subjectivity as well, which makes it really difficult to understand what should the framework be for you and how do you even baseline that framework? For yourself. So those are, so that's macro, I would say. Those are the macro challenges. Then there's the micro challenges within the organization itself. And that's where we have been having a lot of conversations with our clients, to be quite honest. And that's really around data management and orchestration, yeah. right? A lot of times what we're seeing in organizations is that they are collecting information about energy. They are collecting information about water and waste and materials usage and uh, emissions, but that data resides in silos across different parts of their organization, across different parts of their operations. And guess what? That data is not captured in systems necessarily. They're on Excel spreadsheets, right? So you visualize this mental model, you know, of people in this organization and different silos, all tracking to these different Excel spreadsheets. So if you think about just that visual, right? You can see how getting to sort of like a one view, sort of global view of all of this and getting that integrated picture can be really hard from a systems perspective, as well as from an orchestration perspective. So when you've got regulations coming down the pipeline saying, you know, we want you to report on something quarterly, for example, right? And it takes me six months to get my reporting in order. It's 
again, it feels like an insurmountable task. And so a lot of clients are asking for help from that perspective. And I think, again, go to the experts to get that help, to help you you bed it in. You take some of the pressure off yourself as well. And it's an easier, it's an easier way to try and get into the seat of ESG and sustainability without, you know, as you said, analysis paralysis kicking in and you're just all stuck trying to figure out what you should do and where you should start. And you just keep going around in circles. That's right. That's right. I think seeing that data streamlined and on a single pane of glass can be really powerful for a lot of different companies. And I know a lot of the companies that we were talking to at least are on that journey right now. Part two is how digital technology can help with the rising pressures of ESG. And the first question in this one is, can you give some innovative examples of how digital technologies have helped with ESG for some of your customers? Yeah. So I'll mention a couple of stories, if that's okay with you. The way we view it from an Avanade perspective is that technology really can be your co-pilot from a sustainability journey perspective. And We like to think about it as a stack. You know, you've got your reporting stack and you've got a collaboration stack and then you've got your foundational sort of cloud stack as well. But there's ways to stitch together some of those Lego bricks, I guess, if you think about it in that way, in a way that can really help you drive impact. So a couple of stories on this one. We love building digital twin ecosystems for our clients. And there's one utilities in the Netherlands organization called PWN that we worked with where we actually moved them to the cloud, right? They weren't on the cloud originally, and we moved them to the clouds. That ultimately helped us to democratize their data and really gain some efficiencies on on, on their infrastructure and their technology. And once we moved them into the cloud, we ended up helping them actually visualize some of that data as well on, we're off of the Microsoft ecosystem. We helped them visualize that on a Power BI dashboard, essentially. And then because this is a water utility, one of the things that we also built was a digital twin ecosystem where we placed IoT sensors into the sand dunes of this, you know, where they operate. And so those IoT sensors can then detect water levels and thresholds of the water. Are they going above a certain threshold or are they below a certain threshold? And if they're below a certain threshold, that means that you've got to treat the water in a different way because the salinity of the water has gone up as a result. And so just having those sensors, if you will, in the environment helps this organization really treat in real time the water supply that they had. So that's a perfect example of where you have a couple of elements, honestly, of the that Lego building blocks that I was talking about. You've got the Azure component, you've got the data and AI component, you've got the visualization component, and you've got that digital twin ecosystem that's sensing the environment as well. So that's one example. Another example that we love to talk about is SE. It is a utility renewables yes. organization in Scotland. And we've been on, I would say, probably a three-year journey with this organization. And it's a fascinating story because they first brought us in to help them with their renewables investments. And one of the requirements that they had with their renewables, particularly the wind turbines out in the Isle of May, is Scottish regulators were basically saying, fine, you can be out there, but you have to 
prove that you're not actually being detrimental to to the habitat that happens to reside in, in that location. And the habitat there happened to be puffins, essentially. So we ended up using data and AI and computer vision to be able to actually view and monitor the environment where these wind turbines were located so that we can in real time ensure the puffin count, population count, and to make sure that SSE was not negatively impacting and harming that particular environment. And the great news about that SSE story is that we didn't leave after that initiative. We actually stayed in there to say, you know, you can actually tweak and refine some of this technology and actually use it to monitor life in the ocean as well. So we use that same technology, tweaked it a little bit, and now we're doing salmon detection with sea as well. Again, that was a journey that we took, I would say, maybe two and a half to three years ago. But because we've established a really good relationship with this SE organization, we're continuing to do more work that's really helping them drive towards their ESG goals. And that's one of the, I would say, the important call-outs for this work is, you know, this the project that I that I just mentioned sounds amazing, but we started really small, I would say. Like we started, you know, it was an idea that we then incubated, right? And we ended up getting the proof of value from that incubation and efforts yeah. and then determining, yeah, it makes sense to actually industrialize it and take it to the next step. And so we've used these innovation cycles throughout the process to be able to validate this in the market, make sure we're getting the data that we need, make sure it's meeting the needs of the market and then moving forward with the initiatives. That's very cool. I mean, the water one, I imagine now because of the sensors and the data and the visualizations you have from them, they only need to treat the water when they need to treat the water, whereas they may have just been continually treating it or treating it more than they thought previously. We've got multiple stories like that as well that really indicate how you know, these sensors in the environment can really help you take real-time action that's meaningful and help you to drive cost efficiencies along the way. Part three is exploring the other elements that are needed to make this journey and sustainability and ESG, mm-hmm. ESG journey successful. First question is, what are the key elements of a successful strategy for using digital technologies to help drive sustainability in ESG? Yeah, I would say if we always want to start with the client journey that's being taken. And when we think about the companies that we've talked to, there's a pattern that we're seeing around the journeys that they're taking, right? It's one, you got to understand your baseline and just understand the data, right? That that's behind your efforts. So there's a record and report piece that, that focuses on helping you understand and get the insights. Once you get the insights, of course, then you want to be able to take the next step, which is actually to take action and reduce any negative impacts you might be having across your operations. 
once you get to that, you want to get to a point where you keep the momentum going, similar to the example that I just provided with the C. We're still continuing to do work with them. That's beyond the puffin and salmon detection at this point in time. So you want to get to almost like this like flywheel pattern with sustainability, if you will. But then the question mm-hmm. becomes, what are the mechanisms that you actually need to have in place to be able to make that happen? And I think there's a couple of critical success factors here. One is you've got to have the right foundation, right? And and for us, that's really about whether or not you've had an opportunity to move to the cloud yet. There's a lot to be said around green IT and green infrastructure, green cloud, right? There's a lot of data that's out there. There's a lot of thought leadership that's out there. And it's true, you know, moving to the cloud will actually help you be more energy efficient as an organization. And the benefits in terms of what it will do for your data is immense as well. It really helps you democratize the data that you need to be able to really understand, gain insights, and ultimately take action as well. So moving to the cloud, I think, is going to be sort of one of the foundational elements. But then you have to understand whether or not you're actually able to measure and going back to that Peter Drucker quote. So do you have the right reporting mechanisms in place? And can you actually efficiently report? And then once you're able to do that, Let's talk about then how do you actually prioritize your use cases, right? So do you have the right decisioning mechanisms? Do you have the right prioritization mechanisms to be able to align to your organization's objectives, align to the ESG frameworks that are out there, and be able to really understand what you should be doing from a short-term, mid-term, and long-term perspective and getting to a point where you're actually not like recreating the wheel or investing in throwaway work, all of this should be iterative and additive to each other so that you gain efficiencies along the way. So making sure that you have the right decisioning and prioritization mechanism is going to be really important. Those are the three, I would say, sort of the governance and operational sort of building blocks that you need. But I also think a lot of sustainability is about change management, (laughs) And a mindset shift, I would say. So we talked a little bit earlier about how sustainability sometimes is viewed as, oh, yet another thing that I have to do. Or sometimes it's just thought of as a, a an initiative, you know, a pet project, if you will, of the C-suite. And it doesn't get beyond the next levels, right? It doesn't trickle down to the next levels. So I think there's a mindset shift component to this as well, where we need to view sustainability as really embedded into the strategy and into the operations and into your actual digital transformation journey so that it doesn't become this sort of separate initiative that you have to find investment dollars for. And so there's some ways to do that, I think, that are actually quick wins, I would say. So one is, you know, if you have moved to the cloud or you're on that journey to move to the cloud, you can actually lower your carbon footprint and optimize on the cloud by, for instance, turning off servers that you might not be using. Even running a server room on site, everything that's wrapped around that, the energy, the, the cooling, everything that's, that's wrapped right. around it. That's right. So we have mechanisms to be able to detect how you can actually optimize on the cloud. And when you're optimizing on the cloud, that means that you are lowering your energy bill on those yes. investments. And when you're lowering your energy bill, you've got a carbon footprint save as well. That's an easy win. That's low-hanging fruit that companies, particularly CIOs, can go after. And another another 
quick win, I think is, you know, acknowledgement that through work that you might doing be doing around things like supply chain resiliency and ERP, for instance, right? Those systems can actually track things like water usage and materials usage, right? And so you can actually mine that data to figure out, you know, do I have excess materials here, for instance? Because if I do, is there a way, do I have to send that material to landfill? Well, that's a cost for me, right? Instead of sending it to landfill, can I actually recirculate that back into the economy in some way. And here's another example, Michael. We actually did just that with an organization called Metal Exchange, where we actually did some supply chain resiliency work with them. We implemented that system, the ERP system, and they were able to uncover that their metal manufacturer, they were able to uncover that they've got excess aluminum from this process. And that excess aluminum didn't have to go to landfill. It could actually get resold to other companies, in this case, auto manufacturers that are using aluminum to manufacture electric cars. So they were able to not just find cost savings by not sending this materials to landfill, but they were able to find a new revenue generation opportunity as well, which is really powerful. That's very powerful. How can organizations tangibly demonstrate their progress with sustainability in ESG? I think it's hard to be general when we're talking about sustainability in ESG because everyone's company is slightly different. But is there something you would say that everyone can do, whether it's low-hanging fruit or something that's tangible that most businesses could do? Yeah. I mean, I think, again, it goes back to this, where do I start, right? Don't try to... (laughs) I guess, pun intended, don't try to boil the ocean on this one. Modularize where you can and really try to figure out what are the discrete efforts that you can do where you can see tangible progress and tangible wins, not just from an environmental perspective, but from a business perspective as well. I hope it was evident throughout this interview that, you know, we're not just saying, you know, hey, you're going to align to, you know, this UN SDG. Sure, you can, and we can make the case for that. But a lot of the sustainability value is coming through cost efficiencies, new revenue generation opportunities, operational efficiencies, right? So know that you're going to be able to benefit those specific levers, but you've got to do so in a way that is practical and pragmatic. So I would say, you know, modularizing it, making sure that you're prioritizing the right use cases and getting to that proof of value sooner will really help signal to the market, first and foremost, that you're doing something about this, but also give you the validation that you need to continue to invest in it further. The people that hopefully listen to this that are struggling with this, hopefully everything we've just talked about will help them start the journey. And whether they start the journey themselves or whether they give you a call and have an article or somebody else, you've got to start somewhere. Thank you very much, Miranda. I've got last three quick fire questions for you, if that's okay. Cool. Quick fire questions short and sweet, and you can answer as short or as long as you like. Are you seeing or experiencing business leaders becoming scared of greenwashing, given what's been going on in the market? I would say yes. And as a result, it makes the market question, and I would say possibly devalue sustainability. But I would say if you can turn your ambition into reality with quantifiable results, you'll really see a higher chance of success and not fall into sort of this greenwashing trap that we've seen a lot of companies fall into. 
Next one is what is one really quick and accessible way employees can help their organizations with the wider scope or pressures of ESG? What can employees do to help? I'm really excited about this particular question because I think that the next generation of leaders that are coming online are incredibly passionate about this topic. And I see it at Avanade where, you know, we've got new people that we've hired right out of college, right out of university, basically pinging me, right? Emailing me and saying, Hey, I, I want to do something here. What can I do? So I actually think that your employees are one of your strongest assets with respect to doing any ESG work. I really think that employees can be boots on the ground to helping you drive all of your ESG targets, but I would say particularly the community work that you're trying to drive from a societal perspective. So I would say, you know, mobilize them to do your outreach because I think it will be a win-win. It gives the employees a sense of, you know, doing something for the greater good. And a lot of them are actually looking for that sense of purpose from their employers. And it also gives you as an employer win on your employee value proposition as well. Yeah, I agree that the younger people are asking more and more. We've actually started a sustainability committee here. A young lady called Sally runs it for us. It was a, we want to do this, almost yeah. not asking us, but saying we we want to do it, we are going to do it, and can you help us do it? So yeah. I think more and more, and we've changed our energy supplier to, to help with this, the green energy. Also, we know we're not net zero, but we're carbon neutral. We're, we've taken on initiatives to help with that. We've looked at our supply chain, the, the products we use in the office, we've changed. They're a lot greener for the cleaning. All of that has come from our team. It doesn't have to be big, but it's, it, you know, the change can happen at any level, but just getting involved, I think, is the main thing. Yeah. Can I add one thing to what you just said as well? So with these groups that are, you know, these employee groups that are popping up around this particular topic, they're meeting regularly and they're coming up with ideas that I hadn't even thought about, for instance. So that's another thing to, to think about as well is yeah. there's a lot of richness of ideas that come out of the next, I would say, again, the next generation of leaders. And if you can mine some of those great ideas that they're coming up with, you can be even more innovative as an organization around the space. And Sally and her group are doing some great things for us as well. So the very final question, given that the podcast is called The Measure Podcast, what's the one piece of data you cannot do without to do your job and help you with what you do day to day? Because we're always working with clients, I always like to understand the client context first, to be quite honest. And, you know, I always like to ask the question, what's keeping you up at night? Because that really helps to get to what they're really being bothered by, what they're being challenged by yeah. and what they need to tackle. And I also like to ask the question, you know, what's your starting point and where do you want to go? Because usually when you ask that question, you can help to find ways to establish that vision for them and then backtrack into what they can tangibly do sooner rather than later. And I think, yeah, the customer data, given what you do, is probably one of the most important parts to help inform where you start and how you start the journey for them and where they end up. Yeah. And as you say, like with the SSE project has not just been a one-off now. It, it's almost a forever project, right? So That's because right. you just keep innovating, you keep seeing benefits. So customer data, very important. Cool. Miranda, thank you very much for being part of the podcast in this series. This is the last episode in the series, but thank you very much for being part of it. 
And I will catch up with you soon, given the amount of work we do with Avenard. I'm sure we'll catch up. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Michael. Thanks so much for listening to The Measure Podcast. Before you go, we can see a lot of people are listening and enjoying the podcast, but aren't leaving us a review. So if you've enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes, please head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review if you'd be so kind. Please also leave us some comments. It helps us provide great guests and have great chats. No bullshit, no small talk, but valuable information to help people in their roles. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to The Measure now so you don't miss anything. Thank you.